Hi, welcome to episode 15 of Global Exchanges, a podcast about foreign exchange markets and related issues. I'm Greg Anderson. In this week's episode, my co-host Stephen Gallo and I will be discussing the price action in foreign exchange over the last month, along with associated fundamental developments. We will contrast the price action in the second half of June to that of the first half of July. The title for this episode is The Two-Phased U.S. Dollar Rally. Hi, I'm Stephen Gallo, a London-based FX strategist. Welcome to Global Exchanges, presented by BMO Capital Markets. Hi, I'm Greg Anderson, a New York-based FX strategist. I'm Stephen's co-host. In each weekly podcast like today's, we discuss our perspectives on the global economy and the foreign exchange market. We also bring in guests from the FX industry and from related financial markets like commodities. We strive to make this show as interactive as possible, so don't hesitate to reach out by going to bmocm.com slash global exchanges. Thanks for joining us. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates or subsidiaries. Right. So, Greg, we're launching our podcast now on the 20th of July, and we're a little more than halfway through the first month of calendar Q3. Um, And just for the benefit of our listeners, uh, the dollar in BBDXY terms is about 1% higher in July to date. Um, And if we take a suitable benchmark date, which we'll probably figure into our conversation quite a bit, that date being the day before the June FOMC, from that point, the dollar is up a little under 3%. So basically what I've done there is I've identified two specific windows of time, mid-June until the end of Q2, and then Q3 to date, through which we can look at the dollar strength. What do you think about that, Greg? So Stephen, if we're talking about the US dollar move since the June FOMC, I think it's really important to bifurcate it like you just did. I'm not sure that June 30th is the absolute perfect division point in terms of when the themes shifted, but it's awfully convenient for calculating returns and making comparisons. So let's just stick with it. Here's something interesting, though. In the second half of June phase of this US dollar rally, the dollar gained 1.9% against the yen and 2.2% against the loonie. But thus far in July, while the dollar has gained 2.8% against the loonie, has actually lost 1.6% against the yen. So if we're looking at the uh, dollar CAD chart, it looks like one long continuous trend of the US dollar rallying over the last five weeks. But for dollar yen, we've got a trend reversal and an obvious division between the two half periods, if you will. How does it look for your currencies? Well, first off, Greg, I think that's a great point. What you did is you highlighted the fact that the Japanese yen has been doing better during this most recent, call it Q3 phase of dollar uh, dollar appreciation. And we'll probably get into that in a short while. But in my vicinity, in my neck of the woods, certainly of interest is the rally in the Swiss franc versus the US dollar quarter to date. The Swiss is up, uh, I guess, around two tenths of a percent versus the greenback uh, and a bit more in broad nominal terms, uh, call it 1.3% higher. I guess one of the other key components of these global currency moves I would point out is the extent to which Asian currency weakness, uh, ex-China and ex-Japan has accelerated a bit in Q3. Interesting you said ex-China. 
along with ex-Japan. You and I often lump all the Asian regional currencies together and just talk about the ADXY currency index. The RMB is, of course, the biggest weight in that index. The ADXY lost 1.1% against the dollar in the second half of June, and then it's lost another uh, 0.8% thus far in July. So like with Dollar Canada, the ADXY chart looks like sort of one long continuous dollar higher trend. But are you saying that the RMB and maybe actions by Chinese officials are moderating the ADXY decline? Yeah, Greg, that's exactly right. Look, within EM, the RMB is a relatively safe currency. And, and that comes from years of discipline from regulators in terms of balance of payments management. And I don't want to get lost on a tangent, but one of the questions I saw repeated after the reasonably good Q2 Chinese GDP data was, why did the PBOC bother cutting the reserve requirement ratio uh, in light of the data? And one of the reasons that is often overlooked for the PBOC's policy maneuvers is the currency angle. Basically, by softening its stance on liquidity, the PBOC has not been a direct contributing factor to this recent deterioration in risk appetite that we've witnessed or the dollar appreciation. And it's not been encouraging an abrupt spike in dollar RMB above 650. And look, the data speak for themselves. The CF, the CFET CNY index, that's up 0.5% in July to date. With China being the biggest buyer of commodities, maybe that's a good point for us to transition to talking about commodity price moves over the period since the June FOMC. And I guess I'll point out that if we're looking at broad commodity indices, like the CRB or the Bloomberg Commodity Index, we're basically flat to where we were on June 15th. But if we look at individual commodities, there's been some interesting movement. I know you follow gold closely. Maybe you want to talk about what has happened with it in July versus what it did in June. Yeah, Greg. Well, spot gold is a good barometer and really useful uh, market variable. So the gold price is up a bit in July, certainly helped by the move lower in longer term yields, but it fell sharply in the second half of June in the wake of the June uh, FOMC rate decision. I guess that brings us to oil. Speaking of the WTI grade, it rallied a little bit between June 15th and June 30th. I'll call it roughly from $72 a barrel to 74 Then we hit a high of uh, almost 77 on July 6th. Since then, it's been all south, with crude falling about 13% to let's call it $67 a barrel presently. And that brings up an interesting point with the dollar CAD rally. In June, dollar CAD was rallying despite oil moving higher. It was like a rally into the oil headwind, so to speak. But for July, oil is a tailwind to the dollar CAD rally. But where the decline in oil um, is positive for dollar CAD, the decline in U.S. rates should be a negative. Um, and I guess with that, Stephen, you want to go through the uh, movements in the two-year and the 10-year U.S. Treasury yields quickly? Right, Greg. So on yields, uh, the two-year Treasury yield climbed from about 15 basis points to nearly 30 basis points after the June FOMC. But in Q3, uh, now it's down about four or five basis points. Uh, and the move in the U.S. 10-year yields is probably now so famous throughout the world, it almost speaks for itself. 
down another 25 basis points in Q3 after having dropped already in Q2. Um, but I think what's interesting is that that move can be dissected into two specific parts. One was um, the impact that the Fed preparing the markets for a reduction in monetary easing had on the long end of the yield curve. It seemed to cap longer term yields. But in July, the move in yields has certainly been more risk off dominated, the move lower in yields, that is. Risk off. That's the perfect expression. So let me just summarize our key point here. The June phase of the US dollar rally was a Fed on move. The July phase of the US dollar rally is a risk off move. And I guess now that we've uh, beaten that dead horse from multiple angles, that brings us to the next logical question. When does this US dollar rally end? And how much further can it go? Well, Greg, you know, one of the things I've, I've got to say, one of the things that irks me is the potential evidence we've seen of stagflation. And, and the reason I don't like the notion of stagflation is because I think it puts central banks in a really uncomfortable position. And I know we've seen some prices come off already, particularly some raw materials prices, and, and, and that's certainly a good thing. But I think risk appetite will benefit, definitely benefit when we have firmer evidence that the inflation cycle, particularly in the United States, uh, has peaked. Uh, so that's one of the things I'm looking for, uh, evidence of that. In terms of how much more dollar strength, I think we may yet see a 116 handle on euro dollar during this greenback appreciation phase. But I think the main message I'd send right now is that it doesn't look to me like like the dollar is going to back off rapidly. I think it's going to take maybe at least another month or so for that to happen. And so I guess, Greg, the same question back to you, how much longer and how much further do you think? I'm not really sure on how much longer, Stephen. Your one month thesis sounds good. Honestly, I don't really know. For me, I'm more worried about the Delta variant than inflation. So I think we need to see angst over the Delta variant crest before the US dollar can crest. And I think that's probably at least a month off. I was just looking at uh, Worldometer's daily global case count metric, and it has almost doubled over the last 30 days. This is really worrying for countries that don't have all of their elderly and immunocompromised vaccinated yet. I can't see that angst going away until late August at the earliest, but I can see slower global growth getting fully priced into markets by September, say. In terms of further movement, as we noted in our IMM positioning report, the leverage funds community has gotten rid of uh, its short dollar position so that takes a little bit of the juice away uh, to the upside for the U.S. dollar, but maybe not all of it. I guess I think we could see maybe an, another 3% upside in the BBDXY index, uh, which would take us to a new high for it for the year and roughly back to where it was uh, pre-election. For dollar CAD, uh, the movement's been a little more extreme already. And so I sort of think that maybe we will top out on a 128 handle but I guess a one-day breach of 130 wouldn't shock the socks off of me. Greg, I think we should just wrap it up here. We've given a number of different angles for uh, how listeners may want to look at some of the different fluctuations that have been taking place in, in the FX market. Thank you, listeners, for sticking with us through to the bitter end of this podcast. 
and best of luck in these thin and volatile markets. I'll second that. We really appreciate all of our listeners taking the time to hear some of our thoughts on the FX market. And just a quick reminder, voting for the 2021 Institutional Investor Survey is ongoing until the end of July, and every single vote counts. So we really appreciate your support. Thank you. You can find a hot button link to the II survey at the bottom of any of our emailed publications from the month of July. If you're having trouble getting to it or getting through it, please don't hesitate to reach out to one of us, either by email, Bloomberg chat, or phone. Thank you again for your readership, listenership, and support. Thanks for listening to Global Exchanges. Listen to past episodes and find transcripts at bmocm.com slash global exchanges. We'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. You can send us an email or reach out to us on Bloomberg. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show is produced and edited by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including without limitation any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.